From the Oxano Podcast Network, welcome to My Ministry Breakthrough, hosted by me, Brian Rose. This podcast is all about pastors sharing unfiltered stories of moments large and small, of times when the fog of ministry chaos clears and breakthrough clarity happens. I think one of the things that happens for us as church leaders yeah. is we tend to see vision, we tend to see the horizon storyline, yeah. just exactly like it is. We see the beautiful picture that's nicely, neatly packaged yeah. in a nice little box, kind of like the 5,000 piece puzzle that you buy at the store. And when you see it, you think that's beautiful, that's compelling, that's accessible, that's the kind of challenge I've been looking for. And we buy it, we take it home, then we open up the box and we dump it out and there are a billion different pieces. And what was exhilarating in the box becomes exhausting in real life, yeah. just a billion yeah. different pieces. And one of the pieces of breakthrough for us has been trying to figure out how to continue to cast that compelling vision and show people the picture of the future, but to break it into bite-sized pieces and to give them the next step towards something that they want more than anything else in the world. They just don't know how to get there from where they're standing on Monday morning. Welcome to another episode of My Ministry Breakthrough. With each episode release, it's been really cool to hear from some of you. I just want to say thanks for the feedback, suggestions, and encouragement. If you have questions or just want to reach out, hit us with a tweet at MMB underscore pod or email to myministrybreakthrough at gmail.com. So here are the two types of leaders that I think will really like this episode with Chris Freeland senior pastor of McKinney Memorial Bible Church, and really, as you're listening to this, Doxology Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. The first type of leader is a leader navigating change in some part of their ministry or personal life, especially major change. I dive in with Chris about leading a well-known and well-loved church to change their name, to change a name that is in honor of a former pastor but a name that makes no sense to the people they're trying to reach. We talk about change as a process and how to leverage vision and DNA in times like this. The second type of leader that will like this episode is anyone leading with a team or alongside another leader. You see, when I originally asked Chris to be a part of this podcast, he agreed to do so on one condition, that his executive pastor, Justin Atkins, also sit in and contribute. So welcome to a very special edition of the Our Ministry Breakthrough Podcast. I dive into the details with Chris and Justin on how they work together, what the other does that makes them better, and what life is like as a high-performance leadership team. So if you're a leader who is leading or hopes to lead alongside one or more other leaders, this episode is for you. If you're a leader who is leading through change and wants to do it well, in a way that advances the vision, well, this episode is for you. I guess what I'm saying is this episode is for you. So lean in and listen up to my ministry breakthrough. I mean, our ministry breakthrough with Chris Freeland and Justin Adkins, the senior pastor and executive pastor of Doxology Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas. All right, well, Chris Freeland, Pastor here at McKinney Bible Church, McKinney Memorial Bible Church, soon to be Doxology Church. Yeah. Pretty exciting to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. Um, We'll get into the name change here in a minute, but let's just jump in. Give us a snapshot, your history with the church here. Tell us about McKinney Bible Church and uh, and where we sit today. Yeah, great. Thanks for having me. It's good to do this. Uh, I've I've been at McKinney for about 11 years, Uh, came uh, as the young adult pastor and uh, McKinney's a, a 65-year-old church planted back in 1954 in the height of the Bible church movement. And um, right from the very beginning, it was planted. It was planted in a neighborhood by a group of people that just said, hey, Fort Worth has a lot of churches, even then. What if we could plant a different kind of church? And in, instead of trying to get everybody out there in here uh, so that a professional can tell them about Jesus, uh, what if we could train everybody in here and get them out there? So back in 1954, before anybody was really talking about missional anything, uh, McKinney Church was planted by a group of people trying to do that. Yeah, I was going to say that was a pretty revolutionary thought back then what, because it was still kind of an attractional, even not the not the fog machines and black box attractional, but still just like you know, everybody bring people here versus how you want to send people out. Absolutely right. And in fact, even part of the lore was that that original 
couple of pastors. One of the pastors is still alive, and he tells stories about walking through a neighborhood just out in the far outskirts of town that now is Fort Worth has grown as part of the central part of town, but uh, praying for the neighborhood, saying, God, if you would let us reach this neighborhood, we believe we could reach the world. Hmm. And uh, and it, it just is a, a really neat testament to the vision of that original group um, and trying to do something unique and do something different uh, 65 years ago. How is that? How is that calling to the neighborhoods manifest today? Is there? Can you kind of kind of give us the thread through today? It's still a huge piece, and, and I might actually say again, it's a it's a huge piece of our uh, vision. Really, we put, have it at the bullseye of our discipleship model. Um, Jesus said, "Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself." And part of the question that we ask on a regular basis is, obviously, when Jesus said, "Love your neighbor as yourself," he means anyone near you that needs you. But that doesn't exclude the person that falls asleep 40 feet from your head. And so Mm. part of what we see our desire is to equip people and deploy people to really love their actual neighbor in real tangible ways all throughout the rest of the week. Everybody, and obviously that extends to your, your job and your school and your campus, but everybody has a neighbor. And so we really cast a hard vision towards that even still today. I think, and this is kind of a recurring theme in this podcast for me, is a lot of pastors agree with that. A lot of pastors say that, but yet sometimes we we go, man, but it's it's just not happening. Is there something you guys are doing? Is there something embedded in your culture or in your language or even in the actions that make sure those people, as you said, that are falling asleep 40, 40 feet from your head, uh, which is a kind of a, I guess, a suburban <laughs> suburban thought of that. Uh, what What is that? I mean, what, is there something you guys are doing? Is there something you're, you're being able to look back to and saying, yeah, and this is this is how we know this is happening? There are several things we're doing, um, and I'm actually not sitting here by myself. This is a, a huge team effort here at uh, our church. So I'm sitting here with our executive pastors, Dustin Atkins, and uh, really at every level of our church and every level of our staff, we talk about this idea. We put it on the bullseye on a regular basis. We've organized mm. a lot of our um, environments around that, and we cast a hard vision for it on a regular basis. And we've actually even set big goals that are in front of our congregation that they know both know what we're chasing and why we're chasing it on a regular basis. So he could add to this, but one of the things that we've said pretty clearly to our, our congregation on a regular basis is um, we want to have a Christ-centered group of people in every neighborhood in Southwest Fort Worth mm-hmm. in the next few years. And uh, when we keep that on the radar so that if a person wanted to know or needed to know somebody who really loved Jesus and who would really love them, they wouldn't have to get in a car to find somebody like that and really even a group of people like that that have already been actively pursuing them in real tangible ways. Yeah, I, I mean, I would definitely affirm that, and uh, it's great to be with you. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, Justin, thanks um, for sitting in with us. Yeah. What's really cool about this episode is, is that, you know, when I asked you, Chris, to, to be a part of it, you said yes, but, uh, you you know, you know it's just not you. You know there's others leading, and so uh, mm-hmm. it, it, I think it was it's vital to have Justin sitting in here. So it's actually our ministry breakthrough informally, uh, but formally my ministry breakthrough. Justin, what's that look like from your seat, the executive pastor seat? Tell me about that. Certainly. I mean, as Chris said, uh, it's, it is casting that compelling vision. But one of the things that I, I think was critical to that early on was I would term it repeated intentionality. Repeated intentionality. Yeah, and, and so, uh, for example, uh, as we were casting this vision for a Christ-centered community group in every neighborhood, uh, one of the things that Chris really highlighted in his preaching and in some of our um, challenges to the congregation was it, it's hard to love your neighbor when you don't know their name. Mm. Uh, and so uh, we created and ban- began distributing a, a tool we call the block map that uh, was a, an insert that had your house in the middle and the eight surrounding houses represented. And we, we had the congregation take a quiz as we were casting that vision. Fill in the names of your neighbors. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't, what is a step you could do mm-hmm. to learn their names? Because if you don't know their names, you can't pray for them. And if you can't pray for them, how is God uh, going to be able to position you to use you in their life? And so it wasn't just the intentionality of introducing that and doing that on one Sunday. But where I say repeated intentionality is to then take those same tools and challenges and to bring them up over and over again. So, for example, uh, Chris did that a couple of weeks in a row during that launch series of of that concept. Six weeks later, we're outside of that series. Six or eight weeks later, we're outside that series. One Sunday morning, all of a sudden, that block map is back in in the worship guide, and we take a portion of the service to be able to say, hey, guys, remember this? Remember how we talked about this? 
Who's taken an additional step? How many of you can fill in at least one additional name on this block map? Uh, and so utilizing strategies uh, like that to keep it in front of our people, uh, I would say there was, there's been a, a repeated intentionality. And, and that's a tool that we bring up regularly because of how it really brings a vision that feels very broad. And uh, any one individual might be able to say, well, how can I you know, help us create a community group in every neighborhood of Southwest Fort Worth? That feels really big. On the other hand, could they ask, how could I know the names yeah, of yeah. every one of my neighbors? That's doable. But if every one of us know the names of our neighbors, we're one step closer to that reality. I, I love that. And I think there's breakthrough in that thought of repeated intentionality. Like that, because so many times we get excited, we we roll out the series, we roll out those moments, and then it's on to the next one, right? You know, then on to the next one, you know, on to the next one. And coming back around, um, I like stand-up comedy, and there's nothing better when a comedian makes the turn back to that joke, you know, that's early on. Everybody goes, oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah. I think it's a similar concept, right? We come back around. We're out of that series. We come back around block map. Anybody remember this? And we're like, oh, yeah, I meant to do that. Or or they're like, yeah, I did that. And we get to celebrate those things. How else? What else? What else have you guys done that's been that repeated intentionality? Has there been other examples of, of you know, visionary kind of ideas that you've come back to that with? Or has that kind of been the hallmark idea there? Specific well, to that vision? No, no, just in general, demonstrating yeah. that repeated intentionality. Now, I would I would give you even a couple more examples specific to that concept. Uh, one was uh, in relation to how we've structured the community groups themselves yeah. as, and cast vision for what their, their purpose is. Every single week, one of the very first questions is, who have you had a chance to bless this week? Mm. Uh, and that bless word is an acronym that walks through a process of uh, intentionally knowing and loving your neighbor towards the gospel. The second thing that I would say, and, and I'm going to bring it up because Chris would never toot his own horn uh, in this way, but uh, if you don't have yeah. a lead pastor that is living this vision, mm. you're dead in the water. How's that look? How does Chris live this vision? Um, it It is core to who he is yeah. and what he's passionate about. Uh, and so at any moment in time, you could ask Chris about his personal neighborhood, and he's going to have direct stories of what God is doing there and the yeah. steps that he's taking. Uh, and those stories aren't manufactured, but they come out naturally uh, within his preaching, within his daily conversation, within how we do ministry as a team around here uh, to where that becomes infectious and it becomes part of that vision where even among our staff team, that's a regular conversation among us and saying, how is God using you in your neighborhood? Because if, if your primary leaders aren't living that out and it's not at the core of who they are, there's no way you're ever going to get to that big, kind of audacious yeah. goal that seems beyond you. You guys do that formally? Is it a formal like, hey, you know, here's your, show me your block map, tell me your stories, or is it more informal? Like I'm talking among the staff, like you're cultivating the highest leadership level, Justin, just, you know, mm -hmm. keeping that thought in mind. Practically speaking, if someone's listening and they're saying, okay, what do I do there? Do I, do I make it a formal thing? Do I make it an informal thing? Do we, you know, stories? What does that look like for you guys? We do tell a lot of stories. Okay. Um, at every every one of our staff gatherings, we have a, a prayer time and we ask for vision stories and we rearticulate what the big vision is that we're chasing in that staff prayer time. That's every single week for us. Okay. And uh, and then we invite each other to tell vision stories of places that we're seeing that vision at work and and that we're seeing success in that over the last week. Um, and and just inevitably, and, and part of it is because of what Justin's talking about, we've chunked a huge vision up into little bitty pieces and everybody can take a step. And we celebrate the step, not just the accomplishment of mm -hmm. the vision, so that when somebody gets to celebrate a step, we all celebrate together. And that starts with us individually, but it also to our staff. When we tell those vision stories and celebrate it every single week, it gets replicated every week and people realize there's victory just in taking a step towards the vision, not only when we get to plant the flag at the end of the, at the right. vision. What, where, where was the genesis, the community group in every neighborhood, the blessed? Tell, tell us the, the genesis story of that. Where did that come from? You know, why was that important for, for McKinney? 
So a lot of well, a lot of the genesis of it for McKinney individually started when McKinney was planted at the very beginning. Yeah. Just a, a pastor praying, if God, you would, if you would give us this neighborhood, we feel like we could reach the world. Uh, there's a personal genesis of it in my own heart that even precedes my time here at at McKinney. Just in a group of people that I actually got to live it out in a real tangible way. We were just in a community group. We called them life groups at that church, uh, and my wife and I were just participating. And a girl came into the. Um, into the life group one night and just said, hey, I, I feel like we need to pray for the people next door. And, you know, it was prayer request time. We said, why would we need to pray for them? And she says, well, I, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't even know them. I just sense that we need to pray for them. And we said, okay, well, what's her name? She said, I don't know. I don't know her name. Well, okay, well, let's pray. So we prayed for a guy with a red truck and the girl with a baby the yeah. first week. And, and then the next week she'd met them at the mailbox and learned their name. And so then we got to pray specifically for a couple and you fast forward, we were over there watching football one day and the guy just happened to show up and uh, he, he came over to watch a, a Monday night football game. And he realized that we did Monday night football every every week together. And he just started coming. And then at one point he said, hey, your cards are here more than just on Monday night. Is there something else that's going on here? We said, well, yeah, we actually get together for life group every week. You're welcome to come anytime you want to come. He said, um, yeah, I think I might do that. So he showed up. Yeah. Wife never showed up. Baby never showed up uh, for several weeks until finally she starts coming. And it was just kind of a non-event event every week. They're, they're coming and they're taking these steps. And about a year into that whole relationship, we got to prayer request time uh, again in the group. And, and the wife spoke up and said, you guys don't know this. We just had a new baby. Marriage was on the rocks. Things weren't working the way they were supposed to work. And, and we'd already had one appointment with the divorce attorney and we were ready for another. And my husband started showing up over here at football mm. and everything's changed for him. And you fast forward to today, that couple trusted Christ. Uh, they Now all of the other couples have moved out of that neighborhood and that couple still hosting a community group in that neighborhood back in, in Plano, Texas, um, and, and they're living it out. And I just realized in those days, there's something to this. Mm. And this is so simple, everybody could do it. Now, it, currently, you know, guys like Dave Runyon and Alan Briggs and guys that are writing about this and the art of neighboring have helped us get a lot more organized. Dave Ferguson has the BLESS acronym that's really right. been helpful for us. And that was what you were talking about earlier, Justin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. right. That's Put really a link helped to that us in the show notes. give a, a, a step for everybody yeah. where they can yeah. exceed every, succeed every single week. And then tell those stories in community groups. The question isn't, hey, who's, who's seen their neighbor come towards Christ, trust Christ, and, and living a life for Christ as of last week. We're not trying to just celebrate at the end of the vision. It's who got a chance to bless their neighbor mm. this week. Mm. And virtually every week, somebody in our community group gets to tell a story like that. So it keeps it on their radar. It helps them win every single week. Uh, they've got a step that they can take uh, over yeah. and over and over towards a bigger vision in the future. Yeah, Like the, the win is in the micro steps, right? That's right. The, yeah. And then it is. It's great. And then we... You know, one of the things that began to create for us was this lens of a vision that we then viewed all of our decision making through. And so as we early on in the transition process as a church that was uh, making a lot of changes and trying to evaluate strategies, uh, we began to have to evaluate everything through that lens of loving our neighbors. So, yeah. for example, when we began to evaluate a program of the fall festival, you know, a yeah, lot of churches yeah. do the fall festival and do it successfully. And yeah. God's blessed those um, around Halloween. Time. You guys were already doing that on uh, campus. We, that was happening on campus here. But we began yeah. to look at, OK, this doesn't necessarily line up on, to our vision, because if we say we're about loving our neighbor on the one day of the week in our community, that all of the our, whole year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of the whole year that our neighbors literally come to our front doors and invite us to come to theirs. We're trying to get everybody up here at the yeah, church, and yeah. and it was immediate. There was like we're not doing the fall festival anymore, yeah, because because that does not line up to the vision that we have. And so, how do we instead then begin to equip our people right. to know how to do uh, Halloween really well yeah. <laughs> for the sake of the gospel? Wait, wait, wait. don't you remember the yeah. letters we got from our pastors yeah. in the eighties? They said Halloween was evil and celebrating it, so we got to come up to the church and turn off our porch lights. Yeah. I love that. That to yeah. me. Um, that's been a passion. And so I love seeing you guys and hearing you guys echo that, hey, there, this may actually be the most evangelistic night of the year mm -hmm. uh, if a church would look at their neighborhood. And so seeing that come through your vision and make the decisions on that, I think is crucial. And I think that's that's huge for a church to not just have a vision statement or a horizon storyline or whatever you know the tools are that we help build, but to actually begin to make decisions within that, to begin to see those things happening there 
that's huge. Um, we Go ahead. I, I think one of the things that happens for us as church leaders yeah. is we tend to see vision. We tend to see the horizon storyline yeah. just exactly like it is. We see the beautiful picture that's nicely, neatly packaged in yeah. a nice little box, kind of like the 5,000-piece puzzle that you buy at the store. And when you see it, you think that's beautiful. That's compelling. Um that's accessible. That's the kind of challenge I've been looking for. And we buy it and we take it home. Then we open up the box and we dump it out and there are a billion different pieces. And what was exhilarating in the box becomes exhausting in real life, yeah, just a billion yeah. different pieces. And one of the pieces of breakthrough for us has been trying to figure out how to continue to cast that compelling vision and show people the picture of, of the future, but to break it into bite-sized pieces mm. and to give them the next step towards something that they want more than anything else in the world. They just don't know how to get there from where they're standing on Monday morning. I love that. That's huge. Now, we kind of jumped ahead, and, and, and we started with the vision, which is great. Tell us about stepping into the senior leadership role, because you, you, you've you not been the senior pastor, as you said, the whole time you've been here, but you stepped in, and then I know there's been a lot of changes Come on, Justin, you alluded to, to some changes, major decisions. This is not the same church it was before you were the senior pastor. Tell us a little bit about that, Chris. Yeah, in some ways that's true, and in some ways that's not true at all. In some ways it's exactly the same okay. church that was planted in 1954, yeah. and that's been part of the beauty of the journey. So um, planted with some original DNA. And some of the permission for the changes. Let's acknowledge that. Yeah. Sure. That it is the same church, and so the permission to make the changes necessary, when you have the vision to point back, you can do that. We right? weren't attempting to change the DNA of an existing church. Mm. In some ways, what we were attempting to do is to return a church to its original DNA. And I think that bought us a lot of permission because we were able to reach to the to the past, to archives yeah. and to artifacts from the past, and to cast vision in light of a compelling past to take us to a compelling future. And I think that's been one of the only reasons that we survived and even have thrived through some of those seasons of change as a church. I'm going to, I'm going to put a jump ball question out there and just whoever feels like you have the answer first, go for it. Then I want to hear from the other one of you, but I was going to ask, you know, it, you guys are playing such a complementary role in the leadership. You guys talked about, you know, that what is one thing? Cause I'm, I'm thinking of the senior leader, uh, the senior pastor, the executive pastor of another church, right? And they want to be in sync. They want to do this well. What's one thing that the other one does that helps you do your job well? Is there something, like I'm even thinking like just a day-to-day, week-to-week, let's just get not, not theoretically, like kind of attitudinally, but really in practice, what's something that, you know, Chris for you, either Justin does or Justin for you, either Chris does, that helps you, that you see as directly successful in the accomplishment of your role, what your calling is here. You guys got something right offhand? Yeah, that's that's easy for me. I, I think I can give you a couple. One, um, Justin doesn't ever let me get surprised. Doesn't ever let you get surprised. Just, what do you mean? I don't get surprised by things that are going on in our staff. Um, I'm, there's just almost no chance that I'm going to get caught by one of our staff member and, and pigeonholed or asked about something um, that that I haven't already had a conversation with Justin, that he set me up to succeed in that conversation, whatever it is. If there's a staff conflict or an idea or uh, somebody's grinding on something, if there's something that's going on in our staff, mm. um, I just don't get surprised by those. Justin's always going to get to me first uh, to let me prepare for those kind of things. And that always sets me up really, really, really well for success. And I think related to that, one of the things that helps me, and it's partly just the way that I'm wired I, I, I carry the weight of my responsibility really, really heavily. And Justin is really good, almost like a great caddy, of knowing which things need to be on my radar because they're going to bother me, yeah. but also when to deliver those. So he's paid really close attention, probably even just instinctively to some of my rhythms and to some of my, you know, he knows which days are great days to drop bad news on me and how to do that. Yeah. And, um, and he's just really been good at, at almost managing the psychological piece of that and just playing with, with a guy. You could say handling you maybe? Even? maybe I think it's a really great yeah. way to say it. I mean, he's just, if, if he comes in on a Tuesday morning before I'm going to do all of my studying and preparing for a message on, on Sunday and he drops a really bad piece of news or he tells me about a conflict that's yeah. going on with some of our staff, um, that's just going to take my eye off just the ball all day. You. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. All day. Yeah. Uh, so, you he, know, Tuesday mornings that, hey, listen, this is bad news doesn't happen on Tuesday mornings. 
It has to unless be it's unless there's old, you know, it has to be yeah. ultra critical. Yeah, right. ultra critical. Did you learn that, Justin? Or I mean, how did you know to do that? Did you just watch? Did somebody tell you to do that, or or is it just kind of built into your leadership gifting? To um, some of it, um, some of it was learned through just understanding my role yeah, and, yeah. and trying to. I view my role as is to come alongside Chris and help him to see. I, I think mm-hmm. that mental image, that picture of a caddy yeah. and a golfer, um, that probably is a great image. You know, the caddy. Handing you the club, knowing the yard book. He's to, I mean, to succeed. Yeah. And so um, the principle was known. Yeah. The rhythm of how Chris is uniquely yeah. wired and what is helpful and not helpful to him, uh, that had to be observed over time. You're through trial and error. Yeah through even just listening to knowing what stresses him out when and how and uh, what he finds helpful and not helpful because uh, that can be different among differently pastors, their own rhythms. And so a lot of that was through observation and trial and error. But but to be really clear as the executive pastor, I think it's a really accurate picture of the golfer and the caddy because, uh, you know, Tiger Woods, when he was in his heyday, he had a really good caddy. Yeah. But he was still still Tiger Woods. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the caddy is dependent upon. Do you guys ever get the you know a, a sometimes to hit the shot? What know? I love is you sometimes you hear the golfer caddy you know like discussion like and there, there's never really like you know vile words but sometimes it's like disagreement like yeah. you think it should be this club no you know and you've kind of got this intuitive as a golfer looking at when I say you Chris mm-hmm. and then Justin you're like well but I know the green over here and you need to hit it here and it's right. You know, how do you guys handle those moments? And there's got to be those moments where there's a little bit of conflict. There's a little bit of rub. There's a little bit of seeing two different sides of the same issue. Is there something you guys do in practice that helps get through that? Uh, for for me, I mean, it, it does come down to the communication. End. Okay. Uh, we're connecting regularly, uh, both in organic moments, but also in formalized so moments. So you guys have our, set structure to communicate. Set, set moments that we're connecting uh, both personally and and professionally, um, and and to work through those just the two of us. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's so that in the same way that we would expect, let's say, our leadership team mm-hmm. that hey, we can disagree in private, but in public, when we leave this room, we're going to yeah. leave unified. Yeah, we carry the same principle here, and and part of that in my role is is understanding I'm a person under authority. Yeah, um, but it's really easy to bend to that authority when you're leading with people uh, that have great character uh, and yeah. that are so authentic. And how they lead the, the guy that uh, Chris is behind the door and on stage and in his neighborhood, he is the same person at all times, and it makes it really easy uh, to submit to that. Would you say that's one of the things that he's doing? Or when I ask the question about what's what's one practice that he does regularly that helps you do your job well, what would you what would you say? Yeah, those are a couple of the things. One, he leads with in- incredible humility and, okay. and high godly character. Yeah, um, seeing that. Help, What's that look like? Um, it, it looks like the stories of his daily life. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it looks like a guy that's living out the vision he's challenging people to and wrestling through it himself personally. Um, uh, that That is really, really big. The other thing that I would say Chris does exceptionally well is he he allows me the room to lead. Yeah, um, He empowers me to lead and, and to use the giftings that I have to their full extent, while at the same time trying to look ahead and in those key moments that he knows that he has a strong opinion in or he wants to define a boundary uh, in that he we connect in one of those moments and he makes that clear. And so now I'm not second guessing, uh, am I crossing a line? Am I not crossing a line? I know that I've got a lead pastor that is both clearly defined the boundaries in terms of vision and DNA and and what his vision is for where we need to go, uh, while at the same time providing within those boundaries a ton of freedom and flexibility to, to exercise my muscles as God's given me. So there's, there's on the one hand, the clarity of vision that you guys have defined, that you said, hey, listen, this is what it looks like to be successful here. This is, you know, kind of the repeated mantra of, you know, the neighborhoods and the blessed and I mean, some of those things. And then it is the ability to not micromanage how that gets done on some levels. Is that is that a fair statement there that, you know, giving you room to live within the vision and therefore the rest of the staff feels that? Is that yes. would that be shared? I would say it's totally fair. Yeah. Um, it's it is a partnership, but a partnership with uh clarity of role. Yeah. Uh, there there is not uh any gray area for me of kind of knowing my role and knowing how this works and 
And in many ways, that is incredibly freeing as a leader. Give us a snapshot real quick of the structure, both the informal and formal structure that you guys have. You said there's regular meetings. Just practically speaking on a weekly basis, what's that look like? And then give us a little color, a little picture of the informal. What does the informal side of that look like? Can you, can you do that? There's yeah. The formal times and then the informal? So we we were helped um, by Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage. Yeah. Uh, just in formulating our meeting for, for leadership team. We don't he's an up and coming consultant. Yeah, I think, I think he's going to make it actually. I think that, I think yeah. there's some real headroom there. Uh, <laughs> he, if they would get a, if the table group would get a vision frame, I think it'd just go through the roof, <laughs> it but could. you know, uh, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, we're not purists in his model, but, yeah. but one of the things that we've really taken away from that is a leadership check-in every yeah. single morning. So at nine 15, um, our leadership team gathers for a standing meeting, usually five minutes. The whole team. Whole team. Yep. Um, and and we just, Justin goes around the circle and says, anybody need anything? And that's usually a five minute meeting, but there's usually something immediately following that meeting uh, that that he and I will check in on. Um, and just, hey. That one, comes up from that meeting or just that you've either got on something the list, Justin? Or I know in advance. Yeah, yeah. Coming into there. Hey, this isn't for this room, but I need to. I need to give Chris a quick heads up. Yeah. Uh, while at the same time, even within that rhythm, uh, Tuesdays, he mentioned is kind of his sermon planning day. Yeah. And one where we try to avoid him being sidetracked. It is the one day of the week that he doesn't come to check in yeah. intentionally. Yeah. So that uh, I'm able to make that judgment call. Is there something that needs to surface for him today versus yeah. now this can wait till late in the afternoon or it can wait till the, the next day. Yep. And then normally on, on a lot of days, as we're closing down, you know, four or five o'clock, Justin will come in and, and just if he's got something that he needs me to think about or process, um, he just knows close of the day is a great time to put that in my brain so that I can think about it and process it overnight and come back to him in the morning with, him yeah. with some thoughts. So that'll happen most days. I'll just see him um, and kind of drop by his office on the way out or he'll stop by on his way out and say, Hey, here are two or three things for your radar. And then we've got a, a standing meeting every Thursday afternoon uh, where our primary focus is planning the agenda for our leadership team meeting on Monday. But it's also it, it's come to be a catch all for any longer discussions that we mm. need to have or, or things that we need to think through. What's the informal side of that look like? I think the informal side would be more just the during the during the course of the day um, at any point being able to stop in. Yeah. Um, and, and have a conversation about anything that's going on. Yeah, and text messaging. Got a text message know. thread that runs. Yeah, I mean, that can that can be useful. Um, especially, uh, you know, one thing that's great about text messaging is it does allow you to provide information without, uh, you know, what, what will take 30 seconds, not yeah. turning into 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that a phone call can become. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, especially on something, let's say he's, uh, he's heading into a weekend. Uh, if there's something that he doesn't need to be surprised by on Sunday, that it really just needs to be on his radar, but it doesn't need to be discussed to be able to shoot him a text message. Quick heads up, yeah, um, yeah is is important uh, because I know what he does. He's uh, those weekends are family times, mm-hmm. and they're opportunities to decompress and and, to, and, and so even protecting those. Uh, you know, if I know he doesn't need to process it or he's not going to get caught off guard by it. Uh, and I don't catch him on a Friday, I might wait till Sunday morning because he doesn't need to be caught in the hallway. Yeah. But yet he doesn't have to, there's no need for him to have to stress about that or grind on it uh, all weekend long. I can catch him Sunday morning yeah. uh, early before anybody arrives and say, hey, heads up, somebody could buttonhole you in the hallway uh, on this. I don't want you surprised. I think that's I think that's helpful. I think hearing to high capacity leaders in a healthy relationship, let's say, and, and, and kind of work through that out loud is, is beneficial. Um, I know also, as you guys have navigated like some significant changes the last eight years, and yeah. we've kind of actually buried the lead on this entire podcast in some levels of, of kind of the, the biggest change is, is happening very soon. Let's not get to that yet. Let's just run down since you've stepped into the senior pastor role, uh, Chris, um, and Justin, you've been alongside, like, let's just, what are the big changes? What are the, I mean, that almost in, in most churches would be like tectonic plate shifts. You know, you guys have changed worship style. Is that right? On some levels? On some levels. Yeah. On some level. We've always had a philosophy of trying to do church as a family. Okay. Um, 
uh, we're, we've consistently leaned forward, but we did a big audiovisual um, renovation about five years ago yeah. that that forced some of that to lean even yeah. more further yeah. forward. Maybe it felt more past. like that's it right. was a big style change. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Significant building fundraising campaigns, building seasons, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when um, I, I mentioned when when we started. Uh, this was it, it was a great church, healthy bones, healthy DNA, yeah. but had had gained some program weight over the the, the years. Yeah, yeah. And so right off the bat, we went through a process of alignment and getting really focused around that vision. And uh, and we needed to do some addition by subtraction. And uh, and so there were some significant program changes, things that we used to do and do really well that we chose not to do anymore. Like what? Uh, when when we started, we were doing more of a Sunday school model. Yeah, uh, we had some midweek children's programs yeah. that were extraordinary. Yeah, uh, that just didn't fit our vision. We yeah. we felt like we were bringing people to the church on a regular basis, and pulling them from their neighborhood, pulling out out of their mm -hmm. neighborhood. And so we had to to stop doing some really really great things so that we could focus our energy and effort and create margin for people on the most important things. And there were so when when we started, Justin took a whiteboard and just listed all of the programs that we were leading and yeah. it filled a whiteboard. Yeah. Hundreds of pro literally hundreds of programs that we were putting energy towards. And we called that back significantly to where now we're, we're far, far more simple yeah. than we ever were before. But that was a, that was a huge disruptive change for our congregation mm -hmm. for them to, to understand that and to buy into that and to begin to live into that. Um, that was a really, really difficult season for our congregation to understand. And a reason for a lot of people right after a leadership transition, uh, they looked around um, and over a period of time and kind of felt like this doesn't feel like home anymore. Yeah, yeah. And so that turned into significant change and leading through uh, people deciding this didn't need to be their home anymore. Um, that was a significant piece of, of leadership change even for our church. And in the middle of all of that, you know, this kind of a, We've learned there's with any lead pastor transition, there's about a three year cycle of yeah. change and people deciding they're on board or not and leaving. Right. Uh, and in the middle of the third year, uh, which many times is most critical because that's when many of the core people that yeah. have stuck around kind of choose the ones to that were here because they felt like obligated to be here finally come to that decision, mm -hmm. right? Uh, in the middle of that, we launch a vision campaign right. to raise you know eight plus million dollars to launch a new student building and. Uh, so you the, really polarize everybody um, at that and point, so nothing right? helps people decide if they're on board on board or not a vision or not like sacrificial giving yeah right? that'll yeah. help you decide real quick and so uh but what was by God's grace during this incredible season of change and flux and going kind of white knuckling it at moments going Lord we're trusting you we sense this is where you're leading yeah. was that ended up being the most successful fundraising campaign the church has ever experienced mm -hmm. uh and and God's proven faithful in that. Uh, we also, behind the scenes early on, uh, did a pretty significant kind of staff reorg uh, in how we were structured and meeting structures and yeah. groups and teams really to foster a more collaborative environment and to reinforce the culture that we were wanting to, to build among our team. And I know we're sitting here on the cusp, um, probably by the time this podcast comes out, um, of, of what would, in some cases, some would say, one of the bigger changes you could make. Mm -hmm. uh, some internally would say a change that's long overdue. Right. Some externally would say a change that's long overdue. You guys are changing the name right. from McKinney Church, right. as it's commonly known, McKinney Memorial Bible Church as kind of the heritage to, to what? To Doxology Bible Church. Doxology Bible Church. Right. Tell us about this. You know, yeah. Why are we doing that? And and, and what's what's going on with this? So if, for listeners that don't live in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, this may not make a whole lot of sense, but uh, McKinney Memorial Bible Church uh, is located in southwest Fort Worth, far southwest Fort Worth. Uh, there is a town north of Dallas called McKinney, Texas, uh, that's north of Dallas. And, uh, and to get there, it's about an hour and a half drive. It's somewhere around yeah. 60 miles away. Uh, and when the church was planted back in 1954, McKinney, Texas was a town about... 10,000, no, no place that anybody in Southwest Fort yeah. Worth would think of. No place anybody in Dallas really even knew the name McKinney. That's right. right. That's right. But today it's, it's a thriving suburb of Dallas and a place where there's a lot going. So when our city hears the name of our church today, their initial thought is of a city that's 60 miles away. They hear McKinney Church, they immediately go, I'm standing in Southwest Fort Worth, but my mind goes to North 
Northeast Dallas. It's just not uncommon these days for us. Anytime we do a wedding or a funeral, somebody books a hotel room an hour and a half away. Um, and, and it's often when we have funerals, people will call us 30 minutes before the funeral and say, I'm in McKinney looking for the McKinney Bible Church. And we have to deliver the news that they're not even going to make it mm. for the funeral. And so um, it's it's been just a really difficult thing. But obviously, we had a legacy yeah. and a history. And there's some— McKinney was a name, right? It was a, it was a pastor's name, right? When the church well, was love planted, pastor. it was. It, and actually, not even a pastor, just a guy. It was a guy. Oh, really? It was, it was named around a vision. The people that planted the church said, we want to develop and launch people that are Christ-centered, that, that are making a difference in the place that they live. And they looked around and said, who's doing that? Well, Sam's doing that, and so let's name it after him. They named it Sam. Uh, they named it McKinney Memorial Bible Church. Uh, actually, before Doctor McKinney was even a memory, he attended for the first several years of McKinney Memorial Bible Church. So it was a memorial before he was dead, even dead. Yeah, <laughs> he, kinda, he I mean, it was that was kind of weird. I mean, how would you like to be that guy? Like, right. But I, mean, I think it. it, it we're ref- all hoping you'll die. Reflected I mean, yeah. from the very beginning, this desire yeah. to. To launch people towards ministry in their own spheres of influence. So that's that's a name that you guys could externally feel a lot of, like, it would just make sense. Internally, though, that had to create a lot of tension because there was this, this one person. There was this kind of legacy and probably a lot of emotion connected to that. It wasn't easy to get to the name change. No, that's right. And even for people that uh, were insiders that never knew Dr. McKinney— um, he died in the early 60s. So most of the people are around here, I think there are only one or two people left that even remember Dr. McKinney. Hmm. Um, the, even, even for people that were around here, they instinctively know, and even insider church culture in Fort Worth knows McKinney's name. It has a history and a legacy in this church um, with, with some really positive things. And so it was difficult for them to understand and even see some insiders from an external perspective of how difficult this was for our neighbors and how contra it was to our vision that when people hear us say, we want to be the best church for our city that we can possibly be, but when our city hears our name, they think of another city. Hmm. It's hard for insiders to grasp the discontinuity of that. Um, Because we're so connected with it. We're right there with it Because it's not a problem for us. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's really kind of the driving holy discontent behind the name change was, Hey, we love it, but it doesn't make sense outside the walls. That's right. And it disconnects people outside the walls from the vision of what's going on inside the walls. That's right. And so, I mean, probably was a real easy process to pull out the name, right? It just was <laughs> one of those things where all of a sudden the name popped up and you guys were ready to go. Is that, so, is that how so that works? So the topic of changing our name has been on the radar for about 50 years. Yeah. And it would bubble to the surface about every five years. And then people would say, no, this is too hard or no, it's right. not the right time. And so about... Four years ago, our elders uh, said, we, we think it's time. Um, and there were a variety of, of factors involved in that. They were just making the problem worse and worse and worse. So they yeah. started praying about it a couple of years ago but then and, and decided a, a few years ago, yes, we need to change the name and now's the best time to do it. But, but from that vantage point, uh, that's the easy decision. The hard decision is, okay, change it to what? Yeah. And so uh, we knew it needed to be something that was faithful to our legacy, but also forward-looking into the future. It needed to reflect who we are um, and, and in some respects, not be against where we are. Right. Uh, that was an important piece. of It needed to, to reflect our vision and the vision uh, towards the type of people that we were trying to reach, which in our situation, our location ruled out some of the more obvious geographic names that we might have, have yeah. picked. Because and your vision is beyond just this one spot. I it mean, is. it's in the neighborhoods, but it's also, I know, you know, from working on the Horizon Storyline with you guys, there's a connection. There's a network of churches. You guys have a a future vision for. That's right. And so it couldn't be a name that was like, you didn't want to just kind of be another church with a bunch of campuses in the Metroplex, which I think probably people think you guys are anyway with right. McKinney, McKinney church <laughs> on there. So that, I mean, so you guys are, you guys are talking about narrowing the pool of potential names pretty dramatically, take out geography, take out some of those other things. Then when you add into it that we needed something that was unique, uh, because part of our value is an open-handed perspective. We didn't want to go to another church and just say, well, we like your name, so we're going to take it too. We're going to be bigger and better than y'all. That's exactly right. That's just not our heart, and it's never been our heart. But there are more than 4,000 churches in just the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and all of them have names. 
and most of them have really great names and yeah. really a lot of church plants. Some of them have really weird names. They, too, there are right? a few I mean, of those. Yeah. Um, and and so it, when church planters, I mean, there are church planters that are that are planting churches in Dallas Fort Worth right now, and all of them are asking the same question we were trying to ask. Right. And so uh, it was a hard process yeah. to identify a name. And ultimately, we found ourselves in an elders meeting one night, just praying about it and really kind of frustrated. Yeah. And uh, and at the end of all of our elders meetings, just going back as far as anybody can remember, and nobody knows why, the elders always sang the doxology at the end of an elders meeting. And one of the elders just kind of threw out, almost as a joke, hey, I vote for Doxology Bible Church. And uh, everybody kind of chuckled, and then it got real serious real fast. And, <laughs> and um, Then somebody said, why not? What does doxology mean? And it, and it really comes from two Greek words. Doxa means glory, the way yeah. that God displays who he is and what he's like. Logos means word, the way that God declares who he is and what he's like. And when you put it together, it's a word. It's not just the name of a hymn. It's a word that means to declare and to display who God is and what he's like. And we just said, that's what we've been trying to do for the last 65 years. Hmm. Um, that lets us tell the story of who we are, not just where we're not. And and it's faithful to our past and it leans towards the future. Um we feel like that might be it. And so we just kind of sat with it for a little while. Obviously, there were some questions about it. We, we yeah. didn't want to be a church uh, that uh, just trades problems one for the other. And we were really concerned about the fact that now we're, we're literally speaking a different language. Yeah, literally uh, bringing in a totally different, was a different city, but now it's a different Now it's a language. totally different yeah. language. Yeah. And, uh, and we really wrestled with that. And, yeah. and is that going to help us or not? And I think as we've processed it, as we've asked some of those questions, what we found, and even when our congregation was asking some of those questions, what we found is it actually caused them to lean in towards the vision hmm. because it realized that a name that they didn't inherently know the definition for was going to force them to be clear. And it was an invitation then for them to be vision oriented and to lean towards vision, even as they defined what the name meant to all of their neighbors who ask. Mm. And so it tipped over into, is this going to be a barrier to saying, this isn't just a, not a barrier. This provides an opportunity for us uh, leaning into the future. It's almost, a, it's almost a slingshot, a repulsion, you know, toward the vision. Yeah, I, I remember a specific moment we when we were uh, actually having a smaller gathering with some of our next generation leaders yeah. and getting some feedback from them and it kind of cast the vision and, and the new name. Uh, and there was one of the, uh, one of our college students, she, you could tell she was just kind of wrestling through, yeah, okay, well, yeah. what do I feel about that name? Uh, and at one moment in the the meeting, she she literally kind of slammed her hand down on the table and said, I got it. And, and of course, everybody's a little thrown. What, yeah. What's going on? And, and she said, well, I've been thinking about it, and I just realized that every time I communicate our name right now, I have to explain about where we're located and, and mm. where we're not and all that kind of stuff. And she said, now, if anybody asks me about our name, I get to explain the gospel. Uh, and that was what it took. That That's when that dawned mm. on her, she was sold. Uh, and that was a story that we told pretty frequently yeah. through the vision cast because it really is part of our heart and hope is, and, and that what convinced us is, look, if we're going to have to explain anything about our name, having a name that leads to the gospel is a pretty good uh, name to have. If we're going to have to explain, unpack anything about why we're changing the name or even what the new change is, you're saying, hey, let's point it straight to Jesus. Right. You got let's it. go straight to the good news of, of Christ. Uh, give us a snapshot of kind of that process of change. What did you guys do that was like, you'd say, hey, listen, if there's a church or a pastor out there considering a, a shift this big and maybe not necessarily name change, but still it requires some pretty intensive, pretty intentional communication. I mean, this is, this is something where, you know, People's feelings would be hurt very easily. I mean, this is, you know, this is a reason it was so hard to make the change, right? Because yeah. everybody saw the value and wanted to, you know, not leave anybody behind in this. Is there anything you guys did in that process of change so far? Is there anything you guys did in a meeting, or is what was it that you feel like you could say, "Hey, listen, other leader, other pastor, try this. This is something I did that worked for us." From the, from the very beginning, I'll talk about the first part, and then I think there's some practical pieces that Justin will be better to speak towards. But um, I, when, when our elders started to have that conversation, do we think that we need to change? Do we have to do this? And if we have to do it, is now the right time to do that? Uh, out of that very first conversation, when it resurfaced, 
um, our elders' response was, um, let's spend six months praying about this. Mm. And so we, you guys didn't go fast. We didn't go fast at all. Mm. And in fact, we committed to, to praying and answering the question, do we have to do it and do we have to do it now? And we committed to that and held each other accountable to it for about six months. Um, when we got into the room, it didn't take us that long to figure out the answer to those questions, but we just really wanted to be wise mm. about how we led through that um, and not rush anything and to just to, to really bathe it in prayer. And I know that feels like the pastor answer and the church answer, but I, I genuinely feel that that allowed our elders to be lockstep. And we brought our leadership team in to that conversation um, and, and invited them to do the same thing. And, and what that allowed us to do then is to walk lockstep together and to start on the assumption we want God's best for this church, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And I think leading from those, we had some alignment with our leadership teams where even if we had different priorities, and there were a lot of times during the name storming process that we had different priorities or uh, where we were coming at it from different angles and, and we were primed for conflict, that the conflict didn't, it, it didn't disrupt us um, because we all knew we'd establish this on the, on the same posture of we want what's God's best for this church. So there's still a little conflict, but the conflict wasn't disruptive. That's absolutely right. Didn't derail right. it. That's right. We, we all saw that the conflict was pushing us towards God's best for us and that we were going to discover it together and lead towards it together. Um, yeah. I, I feel like that really, really helped us. Before we get to some of the, you know, kind of just in your sweet spot system process practical mm-hmm. thinking of that, Chris, take us back to that first vision casting moment, like the first, like maybe bigger. I know you, I know you're cascading it out through levels. So there was kind of repetition, but what was that, the kind of the broadest cast, the most like, what's the reaction going to be? I mean, was it, which group was it with and what was going through your mind when you did that? What's something you did there that was like, man, that made it, I mean, you guys said it was greater than 90% of the congregation voted yeah. to approve right. Doxology Bible Church as the new name. Was there a moment in those, a vision casting moment with a particular group of people that you felt like there was the most at stake and and had, you know, kind of some great results? Can you, can you give us a little bit of insight there? Yeah. And I think Justin will be able to speak to the process a little bit yeah. more of that cascading vision. But, but there was a moment where we, the very first moment we moved out of just our um, our staff and our elders, our formal leadership, and yeah, we brought in yeah. the next level of leaders. And we which did it, was who? It, it was anyone who was. We invited anyone who was leading in any ministry at at our church. So okay. essentially, our our volunteers, we brought them into um, to conversations. Um, after we talked to elders and staff, yeah, yeah. we brought some other formal leadership yeah, in there. But yeah. once we took it out of people that, that that had formal positions at our church. But you kind of control in some ways. That's ex- in some ways. <laughs> um, right. When, once we gave it to volunteers, we realized that that it, in some ways we were lighting the match at that point and yeah. throwing it out to, to see what would happen. Um, that was the one that I felt like standing up. And even the very first one, we did it on a Sunday right after church. Yeah. And we had several back to back to back to back yeah. because we knew that the gossip would start to go and we wanted people to hear it from us so that they could hear the whole story and hear our heart and our posture, not just people's immediate gut reaction opinions. And so we did just a, a whole barrage of them all at the same time. The very first one is the one I felt like was the most at stake. It was the highest attended right after a su- Sunday service. And and it's sort of the moment that you just say, we're going to put it out there and see what God does. Yeah. And, um, and, and it just went really, really well. There was, there was just a great level of excitement. Um, there were some individual pieces of it that again, like we've talked about, we were able to connect back to original DNA and tell some, some stories from the past that said, this is exactly what we've been about from, from the very beginning. Would you say that was a little bit of the providence of God that led you to tell some of those stories, to connect the thread all the way through, not just be excited about what's to come, but to really... That, that was essential in our context for us to be able to cast a vision towards the future was to reassure people, both because of just their their priorities, but also because of the past that they've been through over the last five or 10 years at, through some really disruptive change. That part of the vision we were able to cast to them is we are changing what we're called. We're not changing who we are. And in fact, by changing what we're called, it's going to allow us to be even more faithful to who we've always been than we've mm-hmm. ever been before. Mm-hmm. And to be able to tell some really specific stories about how this church has always been positioned to display what God's like, that we've always been positioned to declare who God is, 
uh, by the end of that conversation, we just heard a lot of people saying, yeah, this, this is exactly who we've always been. Let's call it that. No brainer. That's what it felt like to them. Um, obviously behind the scenes, you know, Howard Hendricks used to tell a story about the duck, you know, the duck looks great all, all on the surface. It feels like a no brainer and underneath the surface, he's paddling like crazy. Yeah. Um, that's what that process felt like for us. But, um, but that was also the moment that it felt like it tipped and, and the vision we handed it to the congregation and, and, um, and they led from that point with, with a whole lot of excitement. Mm-hmm. Give us some of the nuts and bolts, the process stuff. It, it, we got the, we've got that, the high level this is what it felt like. What are some of the things you guys did behind the scenes, Justin, that, you know, God's hand in it that led to, in some ways, the successful moments yeah, that, that, that you had there? I think we discovered that there was going to be two main challenges as we cast vision. The first was um, that the, and Chris alluded to this, that the moment the vision began to be cast beyond kind of that core of trusted leaders, um, that you have higher degree of understanding confidentiality and accountability to, the moment it got beyond that, that, that ball that was rolling downhill would start picking up speed and picking up speak quickly. Yeah. And so we had to to be able to continue to stay with kind of this cascading communication to larger and larger groups of leaders to create buy-in. But once you got to that step, the pace at which that had to happen had to, to quicken. And yeah. so uh, Chris mentioned those gatherings were critical, but we did them back to back to back. How many did you back. do? Uh, I believe we did six in total. Six uh, gatherings. And we would have anywhere from 50 to 100 people in the room. And give us a picture. What's the what's the total um, regular attending population for, for McKinney? Uh, right above 2,000. You know, so, 2,000, 2,500. So 2,000, 2,500. And you guys did six kind of large-scale gatherings mm-hmm. for volunteers. You got it. And ultimately, we're able to communicate within the, the time frame of a week to – uh, by that point, when you include staff, elders, deacons, uh, we had reached about four to five hundred people within the congregation uh, that we've been able to do face-to-face communi- communication with, and in a productive method. Because the second challenge that I had mentioned that I have not mentioned yet was, we as leaders had been through a two-year process yeah. of coming to this moment, so we had had two years to process the decision. We were about to communicate to a group of people that were about to have two minutes. Yeah. Uh, and how do we help them, especially if we're asking those many of those same leaders to help us communicate that vision to their spheres of right. influence, to the people that they lead? How do we help them gain ownership? And so even in how we structured that time, we didn't sit people in rows and talk at them. We put them around tables and talked with them. Yeah. Uh, and so bringing them into that. How do you give them ownership? Give me give me a, what did you do that brought ownership? Do you, do you think or do you sense? Uh, well, we tried to listen. So by putting them around tables, that then the bought-in leaders were helping facilitate the mm-hmm. discussion at those tables. It'll, it enabled Chris to cast a vision, but then we didn't dismiss. We met, went immediately to, we want to process this with you. And so we had a list of questions that we walked through to allow them to give us honest feedback, to, to know that they were heard. Is there anything you guys you know are going to do that last Sunday as McKinney? Is there anything like, You've talked about like, hey, we're, we want to do this. This is something that's going to happen. I think part of the plan is to bridge the gap on the Sunday that we become Doxology Bible Church of okay. telling the story. I mean, essentially what we've said that this whole conversation is to, to really effectively communicate the story mm-hmm. of who we've been with the story of who we're becoming and who we are today. Um, and to do that in one service uh, where there's celebrated celebration and inspiration um, where it doesn't feel like a funeral for a church. Yeah. Um, because that's just really not what's happening. Um, in some ways, we're just turning the chapter in the same story that God's been writing for 65 years and moving into our next best years, even with great years behind us. The next chapter awaits. You got it. This is hugely instructive. I think you know uh, the two big the two big things that we've we've been able to hear today is what is what does really leadership look like? You know, two leaders leading alongside each other in their strengths and givenness, and then. When you apply that leadership through the lens of vision to a major initiative, um, some really, really good things come out of it. I I like to ask consistent questions episode to episode. So one of them is, um, and this is this is for both of you guys. I'll I'll call it a jump ball again. Uh, uh, What's one daily or regular habit you practice that keeps you close to the heart of God? 
I would say in the in the term of regular habit, one of the things that we actually encourage among our staff uh, is what we call a, a PRD, a personal retreat day. Okay. Uh, and it's, it's baking into the rhythm, uh, even as a part of your role here to say, you a Bible, a journal. Um, How often do you instruct them to do that? Uh, we're asking all of our primary leaders at least once a month. Okay. Uh, where they're actually going away for uh, at least a half, if not a full day. But that's a Saturday, right? Because you can't, you can't take office hours uh, during, that, right? During Big the time. week. Wait, yeah. what? During the week. You're letting them go yes. during the week and telling and, them And to actually that. expecting them to and asking yeah. them to, to. How do you hold them accountable for that? Uh, we've had to work on that over time. Some of it's just uh, within the rhythms of goal setting. Hey, when's yeah. your next one scheduled? Yeah. Uh, and then debriefing on the backside. Okay. We're actually in the process of revamping uh, some of that in order to make sure that that habit is staying regular. But uh, I think it's just this encouragement to say, guys, we got to seek the Lord. Hmm. And and we're not looking for good ideas, but God ideas. And those are birthed out of the prayer closet. Those are birthed out of a dynamic relationship with Jesus to say, how are we processing what we do through that lens? And so that's been a, a habit that's been very helpful to me, uh, just in recognizing, you know, Jesus would withdraw from the crowds yeah. to go see. If yeah. Jesus needs to seek the Lord uh, yeah. for strength, why would we uh, need it any less? So that, that's a habit for me. Perfect. Yeah, I don't have anything profound. I think regular daily Bible reading and journaling um, is a big deal for me. And I think maybe the profound thing is I hate journaling. Yeah. Um, I'm not a journal guy. It's sort of like It's sort of like exercise for me. I hate that it helps me so much, but it forces me to slow down. Yeah. It forces me to uh, to really think about what I'm processing and not just move on to the next thing and, and put it as a part of a checklist. So um, that's a huge piece so for me. So forced discipline of journaling. That's right. And doing that. If you go back to your first year in ministry and tell yourself one thing, what would it be? Uh, a, f- a phrase that comes to mind that I now use with our team uh, that I wish I had known is, you will uh, continually overestimate what you can accomplish in a month yeah. and underestimate what you can accomplish in a year. Yeah. Uh, th- that That is one that I've now, after struggling through the frustrations yeah. of continually overestimating that month, but yet not looking back upon all that God has been able to do, uh, and I've learned those hard life lessons, it helps me lead with a stability um, and a longevity, kind of a long-term view that I didn't lead with uh, early in my ministry career. But you, Chris? I think I would I would tell myself to find something to stop and be grateful for every day. Um, I spend a lot of my time, I'm a really driven guy. I think a lot of first, second chair leaders are really driven people. And I tend to spend a lot of my time thinking about the stuff that's still undone, um, the stuff mm-hmm. that needs to be done. Um, and, and I'm just convicted when I look through scripture that that's God, that's less than God's best for, for leadership. He's constantly encouraging his people to stop and be grateful, to be disciplined in their gratitude. And so I think that's what I would just tell myself, especially as a young leader that has lots and lots of aspirations to just stop and find something that God's done today that you can be grateful for and people around you that you can be grateful for today. That's great. What's one book you consistently give or recommend? Uh, you know, going back to the subject matter that we were talking with early on, on that dynamic between a yeah, lead yeah. pastor, executive pastor, it's a book that's been around for a long time. But I would tell tell you, any executive pastor that is not read "Leading from the Second Chair," yeah, uh, by Bonham and Patterson, uh, if you haven't read that, you need to read it today, yeah, uh, because of what that can bring to your understanding. Um, of of understanding what the, your lead pastor may be looking for and really your role within that dynamic. Uh, it was a, a great benefit to me. I think asking me to choose one book is like asking me to choose one of my kids. What, which, um, what do you give more often? Is there something you recommend, you find yourself recommend? Yeah. I, I love the book Leadership and Self-Deception. Yeah. I think it gets to the inner part of a leader and why we do what we do. I recommend that book to just almost every leader that I know. Um, that was world rocking for me when I read so it. It was so good. In fact, like putting I just, people in the box and keeping them. In, I mean, one of the only books yeah. that I read or listen to every single yeah, year. Yeah. Uh, I just need the constant reminder. Yeah. I think as a pastor, maybe a little known book is there's a book by a guy named Tim Laniac uh, called "While Shepherds Were Wa- While Kep- Shepherds Were Keeping Watch" or "While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks." Um, and it's actually a 40-day devotional, but I always tell people before I recommend it, it's way too good a book to be wasted in just a, a, a devotional kind of guide, um, but so helpful in getting mm. 
behind the heart and the discipline and the role of a pastor, um, I, I recommend it a lot. And a recent book by Dave Ferguson called Hero Maker, I think, is one of the best books that I've read in a really, really long time. Why? Um, I love the idea of being the kind of leader uh, who recognizes that most of your best fruit is going to grow on another tree and stop asking the question, um, how many apples are on the tree? And begin asking the question, how many trees are in the apple? I think has been a game changer for me as a leader to just think about the legacy that I leave and the people that I'm building into and developing. And uh, just, I, I feel like I wasted too many years already trying to be a hero um, when I could be a hero maker and and leave lots and lots of heroes in my wake. That's good. Perfect place to stop. Chris, Justin, thanks so much for being on the podcast and taking us from my ministry breakthrough to our ministry breakthrough. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Ron. Thank you for listening to My Ministry Breakthrough from the Oxano Podcast Network. You can head over to myministrybreakthrough.com to join the conversation and access our show notes, including the books or other resources mentioned in this episode. If you enjoy hearing these stories of ministry breakthrough, we would be honored if you would subscribe, rate, and even leave a review on iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Thanks again for listening.